Thank you for giving us the opportunity to honor them a little bit this morning. My name is Craig Jarvis. I am the lead pastor of Village Church East, and uh, we get to do summer together with you at Fellowship this whole summer, which is very exciting. This is officially our, hang on, let me build up to that a little bit. After much work and many coffees and many coffee meetings and too many coffee meetings and uh, and all of the uh, plans and prayers that have gone into uh, making this summer a summer together with Fellowship Church and with Village Church East, this is our first Sunday together. All right, there you go. <laughs> We're excited to be able to to join with you at Fellowship in this in this uh, amazing building, 60 years of ministry here in Carroll Stream. Uh, it has been an amazing journey for you, and now we get to kind of join with you and uh, get to do ministry together over the summer. Uh, our church, Village Church East, is we just celebrated our fifth year anniversary. Uh, you can see we had to do some baptisms in a a little pool because of COVID, uh, but but some of them we had to do in the big pool, which was fun too. Uh, which was actually a lot of fun. Um, we, we would see people doing laps behind us as we did baptisms in the pool. It was fun. Uh, but now we get to do the summer together with uh, Fellowship Church and see where the Lord leads us from here. So it's very exciting for us. I want to also say welcome to all of our folks online. Good to have you online, uh, especially our, our family at Bridgeway. It's good to see you this morning. And hopefully all the technology is working absolutely fantastic. Let me tell you one thing that we're doing, uh, just to kind of bring everybody along in the process, we know that uh, all of these coffee meetings that I'm having and the leadership are having and all of the time that's invested with the teams that are getting together to make sure that everything works properly is not communicated to the, to the general public. And so what we're going to do is every week you will be receiving, if your email is on our list, you'll be receiving three bullet points of what we're currently working on. So some of you may have questions like what's happening here, or why aren't we doing this, or when will we be doing this, or are we gonna be doing the whatever. You probably have a ton of questions, we realize that, and so we're consolidating our meetings into bullet points, and we're gonna send those out. So if you have your email list on our general email list, then you will get these bullet points every single week, and you'll see some of the things that we're working on. You should actually receive some of those today or tomorrow. We're still compiling uh, the email list. So if you would like to receive that, make sure that we have your email address, and uh, you will definitely get those every single week, all right? I want to uh, bring to you a message this morning, actually, that I've been chomping at the bit to do. This is out of John chapter 7. We've been tracking with Jesus for a little while, and this whole thing that we're in right now with, with um, what Jesus is doing actually started with the feeding of the 5,000. Do you remember the story of the feeding of the 5,000? <clears> if you count, it said 5,000 men. There's probably women and children there. And if you count them all up, there could be anywhere from fifteen to 20,000 people. And Jesus has fed them with basically a snack pack. He has, uh, he has some fish, which are probably not much bigger than, uh, you know, little fish that you would catch in a pond. And he has uh, two, uh, two loaves of bread, which are probably like uh, biscuits. And he's able to do a miracle that feeds all of them and until they are like uh, post-Thanksgiving full. And then they're amazed by this, and they kind of follow him around. They want to make him king. They're trying to force him. 
force his hand to be king. Jesus has a plan. He knows he's got to go to the cross. And so he's kind of walked through all of this, and now he ends up in the temple. This is about six months before he's killed. Jesus has gone full throttle in his ministry, and he's, he finds himself in the temple. He's earned a spot to teach there because people are constantly amazed at his teaching. This particular event takes place during the booths, the Feast of the Booths, or Feast of Tabernacles, or if you're really Hebrew, you would call it Sukkot. Very good, yes. Feast of Sukkot. This is the feast that Jesus now walks into in John chapter 7. He stands up in the middle of the temple and the temple area, and he begins to teach. The people are blown away because Jesus is teaching like somebody who has authority. Typically, in Jesus' day, if you want to teach well, you'll quote another rabbi. You'll quote somebody else. Well, Rabbi Jim says and Rabbi Jerry says, all rabbis start with a J. So you'd say, all one of these rabbis said this. And then people would go, this person is very learned. They, they quote a lot of people. Jesus, however, did not teach like that. Jesus said, you've heard it said, but I say to you. Jesus' teaching was different and powerful. So the people were blown away by it. In fact, in John 7, verse 15, it literally says, The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but he who sent me. People will come up to me and they'll say, Craig, that was a great message. And my answer to them almost always is, I stole it. It wasn't mine. I just looked in the Bible and I pulled it straight out of there. It's all plagiarism. I get it from God. That's what it is. This is, this is Jesus' way of saying the same thing. He's saying the, the teaching that I'm giving is not my own. It's by the one who sent me. He's giving them signs that he's from God. And he's giving them alternatives to the propaganda that they're receiving in modern culture. In their day, they were told to think a certain way and to act a certain way. And if they didn't, there was consequences. And if they shared those thoughts with others, there would be ramifications. And so the people kind of fell in line with what the leadership around them was telling them to do, the movers and the shakers. And Jesus told them, you're falling for this propaganda. In verse 17, he said, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. Jesus is saying, the, the message that I'm giving you, the teaching that I'm giving you is not my own, it's from God. And it may be different from what all of your leadership is telling you to do and say and believe and speak about. But he's saying you've got to follow what I'm saying because what I'm saying is from God. Not only are they impressed with his teaching, they're also impressed with his chutzpah. They're impressed with his ability to take on the leadership of the day. In fact, in John 7, down in verse 25, it says, Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is this not the man of whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. They're impressed with the fact that Jesus has this courage to speak whatever he wants to speak, apparently in light of the fact that all of the public now knows there's a group of leadership that are looking to kill him to shut him down. 
Some were more impressed with Jesus. They began to consider the unbelievable. They thought maybe Jesus is who he says he is. And if you read the last part of verse 26, it says they're thinking to themselves and they say to themselves, can it be that the authorities really know this is the Christ? They begin to think, nobody, nobody that we know of has ever taught like this, nobody has ever done miracles like this, and nobody has ever had the courage to take on the leadership of the day like this guy. Maybe he is who he says he is. And in verse 31 it says this, Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, When the Christ appears, will he do more, than, more signs than this man has done? They literally are looking at themselves going, <clears throat> Okay, is this a Christ or isn't this a Christ? If the Christ shows up, how much more is that guy going to do than Jesus is doing? They're being impressed because they're getting to know who Jesus is. But here's the kicker, and here's what we're going to talk about today. The movers and the shakers were the cultural leaders. They told people what to do. They told them what to say. They told them what to believe. They would get, tell the masses what to think about Jesus? They said, Jesus is trouble. Don't believe his lies. You're being simpletons. Only non-thinkers would ever follow Jesus. Most listened. Most obeyed the, let's call them the influencers, in order to grab a, a, a little title from 2022. We'll call them the influencers. Most followed the influencers, but some chose to think for themselves. But they were too scared to show their devotion. And so they spoke to each other about their thoughts only in whispers. If you're using your Bibles, we're going to take this chunk and talk about this this morning. John 7, verse 32. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him. And the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Have you ever had your kids mutter? Isn't it the most irritating thing in the world? Just speak. Speak. Will you just stop mutter? Stop mumbling? Speak. Tell me what you want to say. Mutter. They're just muttering to one another. Literally, muttering means a hum of bees. They would, they would talk to themselves. You couldn't really discern what they're saying, but they're mumbling to one another, muttering to one another about softly under their breath about what Jesus is saying, what he's teaching, and who he was. They wanted to talk about Jesus, but they couldn't. They wanted to discuss the validity of Jesus' teachings, but they couldn't. They wanted to have group conversations about whether or not this is right or wrong, or let's just talk about his miracles, but they couldn't. And the reason they couldn't is because the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the leadership of the day would shut them down. Now, we think to ourselves, why didn't somebody stand up and say, hey, let's hear what Jesus has to say? Why didn't somebody say, hey, listen, his claims are amazing. He's doing the miracles. What more would the Messiah do if this isn't the Messiah? Like, what more would the Messiah actually be doing? Somebody wanted to say something, but nobody did. They were afraid. If somebody heard them questioning the propaganda the leaders were selling, they would pay a price. The people in charge of the news that they were allowed to receive and accept had an idea about Jesus, and they would not let anyone question an alternative. And if they did, the consequences would be too great to bear. 
in this day, if you ticked off the leadership of the day, you would pay a price. You'd lose a spot in the, in the social realms. You might actually take a financial hit. You certainly would lose friends and family members. They would not want to talk to you anymore because you were following the crazy people. And so you would enter into a category where you would become ostracized from the rest of the group. They would lose jobs in this day, status, income, property, and reputation. Talking about Jesus was off the table. It wasn't just looked down on. This is the point. It wasn't just looked down on. It was not allowed. The reason I can say that is back up in verse 12, it talks that there's muttering going off on even back up in verse 12. And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he's a good man, others said, no, 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 he's leading people astray. Verse 13, church, would you say verse 13 for me, with me, here we go. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly that break your heart? The pressure of society was too great. For fear of the ramifications, we can't talk about this. Maybe when you get with a group of people that you feel comfortable with or you know you're not going to tick off, then you can talk about it, but only whispers. We have to talk about what we're told to be talking about. We have to be talk about what we're, what we're instructed to think, those things, but not Jesus culture of the day would not follow Jesus and not allow people to follow his teachings without paying a dear price. Church, this is what a weak culture does. A weak culture feels threatened because it is weak. And so weak cultures will not allow alternative thought. They say that they do, but they're built on flimsy ideas. And so they can only be satisfied if they silence or crush alternate ideas. So here's my question to you. What ideas are you not allowed to talk about in a public setting these days? <laughs> I was figuring you were tracking with me, but I need to give you a question to make sure we're on the same page. Every situation that you're in, do you feel like you can talk about anything that comes to your mind? After all, it's a free country. The flag's right there. I'm amazed at the things I'm not allowed to discuss in a public setting. Now get this, Jesus was the truth and told the truth because he was sent from the God of truth. Evil cultures cannot bear truth. It's a spiritual war that is evident simply in the way that Jesus is received. If you're wondering, like, what's going on, it's a spiritual war that is evident in the way truth is received. Evil people will not be able to handle the truth of God. Righteous people will always thirst for the truth of God. If you know Christ is your Savior, every time you hear a good message or you sing a song that worships Jesus Christ, you're going, sweet, that was awesome. But you live in a world, and I live in a world, in a culture where that's becoming more and more unacceptable. An evil culture will always combat the truth. The shocking thing is what lengths people will go to in order to perpetuate unbelief. Evil is growing in Jesus' day, 
and he's running out of time. Feast of Booths, Sukkot, falls around October. It's the last feast of the year. It's a big one. It lasts six days, well, it lasts seven days. And then after that, there's a big celebration. They call it the Great Day. During those six days, there's like sacrifices galore. They even built a trench in the temple that went down to the Valley of Hinnom, where Jesus uses as an illustration of what hell's going to be like, by the way. They built a trench because there's so many sacrifices on these big festivals, this being one of them, that this guts and these blood and all this stuff has to flow out. Stinks. Thousands of animals are sacrificed this day. This is the great feast. This would be the great moment for Jesus called the Feast of Booths. By the way, the Jews still celebrate this today. Uh, some, of the, uh, some of the most uh, uh, vigilant or faithful or what do you call them, the most orthodox, thank you very much, uh, some of them will, will actually stay outside in tents for seven days in their backyard. Here's a picture of like kind of what that looks like. I don't know if they sleep out there all the time, but this is their celebration of the Feast of Booths. It's, it's an example of when they came out of the land of Egypt and they had to be in the wilderness. And so they, they do it. Now, I, I did some research on this. There's actually a Sukkot mobile that will go through some of the Jewish neighborhoods, and they can actually go in the Sukkot mobile, and they can see what it's like to dwell in a, in a tent. So in case they don't have tents in their own yard, this is what they could do. Well, in Jesus' day, this is what they did. They, they celebrated these, tent, these tents with tents in their backyards, in their villages. And they're really celebrating this exit that they have from Exodus. They're remembering their time in the wilderness. This is one of the big festivals. Jerusalem is packed. Everybody comes to give sacrifices. And everyone there is there with the same idea. They've all heard about Jesus. No Facebook no Instagram, none of that stuff, but they've heard about Jesus. And so they're gathering not just to celebrate the sacrifices and the Feast of Sukkot, but they're also, celebrate, they're, they're also wondering, will Jesus be here? They're anticipating his arrival. They're thinking to themselves, he stood up for himself. Will he point out the Pharisees' hypocrisy? They're thinking to them, themselves, will he bring in an army and take over Rome? They're thinking to themselves, what will we see Jesus do? Some more magic, more miracles. That would be cool. In the last part of the seven days, there's a big celebration where the priest will go down and he'll take a jar out of the pool of Siloam and he'll carry it up to the temple. Psalm 120 to 130 are written for this occasion. They're called the Songs of Ascent. And behind the priest, as he carries up the jar, all of the Jewish people would dance and they would sing these songs of ascent. They would get up to the Temple Mount and on this altar where all the sacrifices have been sacrificed for all week long, the priest would take this water and he would wash off the, the, the altar. This is the only time when an offering of water was given. Thousands of animals sacrificed and now the blood and guts being washed away. This is the great day. Jesus has six, less than six months left. He knows he will not see another Passover. He'll be dead before the Passover comes. And it's in this day, on the great day, when the priest pours the water out at the base of the altar and washes the blood away, that our Savior stands up and steals the show. And here's what he says. Verse 37, 
on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. When you see cried out, he yells at the top of his lungs. I have proof of that, and I can't wait to show you in a minute. He cries at the top of his lungs. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And the Pharisees are ticked off because they've planned this. This is a celebration that was under their jurisdiction. And this guy stands up and steals the show. This quote is from Isaiah 55. And if you read it in your Bibles in the Hebrew, it's a better read than in the English. The King James does a good job in translating this one because it includes a word there that none of the other translations do. And the word is in Isaiah 55 and verse 1. Let me read it to you from your, probably most of your Bibles will say, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. This is what Jesus pulls from. Come, everyone who thirsts, comes to, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. But what we miss in the translation is in the Hebrew, there's one word at the beginning, and it's, it's the word H-O. It's actually pronounced H-O-I-O-I-I-I-I. It's a Jesus pulls from Isaiah 55, and with a shout like that, he says, if anyone thirsts, come to me. Everyone knows Isaiah 55. It's a very popular verse. This is how Jesus starts taking the focus off of the ritual and puts it on himself. And he says, if anyone thirsts, let him drink from me. I went fishing a few years ago. It was a fishing trip I'll never forget. I like to uh, fly fish. Sometimes I go by myself. Sometimes I'll go with others. If I ask you to go, it's, you know, it's pretty, pretty good time I, because I, I consider it my Sabbath, my time away. I was wearing my waders. I was wearing my vest. I was walking through the stream, and it was really, really hot. I'd say it was probably almost 100 degrees by the middle of the day. I'm walking up the stream, and I can feel myself sweating and getting hotter. I'm getting further and further away from the car. I don't have any water with me. I, I've got, I'm literally standing in water. Water, water everywhere, but not a drop to drink. Because I'm looking down in this water, and it's, it's crystal clear, but I know it's full of, you know, questionable substances. I keep walking, and I'm sweating. I'm thinking to my, I actually thought to myself, what if I just drank that water? Surely it's not going to hurt me. I mean, we're not, you know, I'm not in a different country. You know, this, it's, it won't kill me. It's, the fish live in it. So I'm walking along, and I'm thinking to myself, now I'm not going to do it. But what I did instead was I shoved my head in the water, and the water just ran over top of me, ran all down my vest, right in my waders. It stunk by the end of the day. But you can imagine it was very refreshing, but in no time dried up. And I, began, and I began to realize that I had stopped sweating. That's not good. Because when you stop sweating, you start getting headaches, you start getting a little bit, a lot, dehydrated, and you could have a very bad episode. I knew that. I actually contemplated drinking the water, and I was wondering, would it be safe if I just drank this water? 
I was too afraid to drink it a little while ago, but now I'm thinking to myself, I don't care anymore. I fell to my knees, I shoved my head in the water, and I drank. I was too desperate to care. The heat was too great. I was in too much danger. The fear of drinking the water did not overcome my need to drink. I moved the fears out of my head and desperation took over. And I want you to know it was an ice-cold, refreshing drink. And I, I, I lived. I found it interesting. I was no longer scared because my need overwhelmed my fear. Jesus invites these people to drink spiritually from the only source that can quench their soul. You and I are invited to drink from the only one true source of satisfaction. Literally, in Isaiah 55, verse 1, listen to what it says. You who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Can you explain to me how you can buy anything with no money? You who have no money, come, buy, eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Jesus chooses this Hebrews or this Hebrew saying back in Isaiah 55 to stand up in the temple because time is running out. Desperation needs to kick in. Jesus has less than six months, and he stands up and with a loud voice as the water is poured out to wash the blood away from the altar. Jesus stands out and, Let me remind you of Psalm, or Isaiah 55. Come and drink. Come and buy. You don't have any money? No problem. I'm giving living water free. Even if you had enough money, you couldn't buy what I'm selling. If you read down in 55, Isaiah goes on to say, Surely you will summon nations you know not. Nations that do not know you will hasten to you because of the Lord your God. The invitation is not just to the people that were in the temple that day. The people in the temple were largely Jewish. They were celebrating a Jewish holiday called the Feast of Tabernacles. The, fe the people in the temple knew why they were there. They knew how to do the feast. But every one of us would be lost because we're not Jewish. But the invitation is for us too. All those nations that do not know you will hasten to you because of the Lord your God. No one is exempt from the call. The call is to individuals all across the globe, all throughout time, if you're really thirsty for truth and you're tired of the evil around you, come and drink from Jesus Christ. Jesus shows up 700 years later and claims to be the one true living God. This was his last day. The guards were dispersed in order to arrest this rabble-rousers. The crowds are getting ready to leave. It is the last day. Johnny, get the bags. Sally, get the camels. We're going home today. And Jesus stands up and says, don't leave yet. This is really important. If anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. And I love this because they're talking about Jesus like this. I don't even think about Jesus. I don't want to talk about Jesus. Murmuring about Jesus. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus stands up and with a loud cry, he says, if anyone thirsts, 
You got no money? You got no bread? You got no food? Don't worry. Come to me. You'll be satisfied. He didn't murmur. He didn't mumble. He stood up and he shouted. He didn't say there's an alternative. <laughs> he didn't say, I'm one of many choices that you have. Jesus said, if you're thirsty, really thirsty, come to me and drink. Jesus has always been the one who is a true drink for every soul of humankind. By the way, 1 Corinthians 10 reminds us that this is true. Even in the Old Testament, you might think to yourself, well, how in the Old Testament were people saved? It's interesting. I don't think I have this verse up here. 1 Corinthians 10 says, talks about, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, our fathers who passed under the clouds and through the sea. But verse 4 says, they all drank the same spiritual drink. They all drank from the same spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. The only way to get to heaven, Old Testament, New Testament, your future, my past, whatever it is, Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only drink that God has provided that will ever satisfy the thirst of every human soul. So I want to tell you, church, you want to eradicate evil? The only way to do it is through Jesus Christ. Everyone can drink if they're thirsty enough. I, I love the fact that Jesus kind of reminded us of this all the time. He said, I didn't come to call the righteous but the unrighteous to repentance. If you're sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, I don't really deserve that, you're right. <laughs> like, like, ding, 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 ding. You don't. <laughs> and neither do I. That's the whole point. You don't have any money? Good. It's about time you realize it. You can't earn it? Good. It's about time you realize it. Because the drink that Jesus offers that satisfies our thirsty soul is free. It wasn't free for him. But it's free for you. We just have to be poor enough, broken enough, humble enough, and desperate enough. Like a fisherman battling heat strokes, surrounded by clear water. You might be here thirsty today. You may have had your world rocked by evil in some weird way. Mine was about two, three weeks ago. I was in L.A. and a guy was shot right beside me. My family was there. We hit the ground. I was looking around to see if there was more shooting going on. While the place we're in was exited, people screaming, running in the other direction. And I'm waiting to see what's coming at me. It's, it's just a reminder to me, listen, we are surrounded. You, I, I can't even watch the news from three weeks. I can't, I can't do it. I can't even watch a movie where there's guns going. I can't do it. After seeing that guy go down, I, I can still see his feet beside me. I can't do it. We live in a world where evil is prevalent, and no matter what you do, you cannot hide from it. It will chase you down. And you live in a world, and I live in a world, where it's trying to shut you up. Evil will only propagate if it's not right in the face, nailed with the truth of Jesus Christ. So are you desperate enough to fall on your knees and plunge your head into the life-giving water of Jesus Christ? I am invited to take this water freely. If you read down in 55, verse 6, it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Church, seek the Lord while he may be found. 
We, don't, we may not have six months left. We may only have six months left. I don't know. Jesus knew he did. And so he stands up and he says, don't leave. This is really important. I don't know how long you have left, and I don't know how long I have left. But I know this. This is really, really important. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Verse 7, let the wicked forsake his way. Let the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord that may have compassion on him to our God, for he will, church, say those last two words with me, he will abundantly pardon. You don't need cash for this. You don't need to impress God for this. He will abundantly pardon if you drink. If you're a believer, you need to hear this over and over and over again. Because every time we hear it, we go, yes, I remember. I'm in a war. This is a spiritual war. I need to speak the truth. I need to be bold and courageous for my adversary like a lion seeks around who he may devour. I need to be reminded of this. But if you're a non-believer, you need to listen to that first word of Jesus. Pay attention. You don't have much time left. It might be time for you today to drink. I wonder why Jesus would do this for us. And that is one theological question I cannot answer. Nor will I ever be able to. Probably even into eternity. All I know is that he would rather die than live without you. Why? No idea. But it reminds me of a great song I love. Jesus, keep me near the cross. There a precious fountain, free to all a healing stream, flows from Calvary's mountain. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever, till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river. Jesus goes on in 38 of John 7 to say, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Don't you love that? When you come to Christ and you drink from him, you are changed. You become a conduit through which rivers flow. Now this he said about the Spirit whom those who had believed in him were to receive, for as of yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not glorified. Can I just make a quick contrast for you from this verse? The murmuring, maybe Jesus is who he says he is, maybe he really is telling the truth, uh, we can't really talk about this because we'll uh, take it on the chin, so uh, we don't want to talk about this. That murmuring, Jesus said, will be turned into a flow of river. Now, a flow of water. Now, if you look at this in Scripture again, you'll miss it because the word literally means a torrent. I was driving down the road, going to uh, an appointment the other day, and they were releasing the water out of the fire hydrants. And there was one right in front of me, and I had to go down the road, and it was just flying across to the other side of the, of the, uh, of the, of the street. And I was thinking to myself, is, is that coming out so hard that it's going to dent my car if I go through it? Because it was just flying out. But I was late for my appointment, so I didn't want to go all the way around. I thought to myself, eh, it can't be that hard. So I, so I thought, I'm just going to gun it and go through and hope that no damage is done. So I gunned it, and I went oh, way over to the other side so it wouldn't go through. And I don't think I dented my car, but I thought, I, I did have that thought. Because that thing was a torrent, it was water that was flowing so fast, I was actually a little scared of it. 
you will be a conduit, a flow, a torrent of truth in the culture. You will be loud and you will be proud for the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit will speak through you like a torrent of water. To some people, that's a little scary. But if you're receiving what's being said this morning, it's really refreshing. Jesus is saying, don't shut up. Evil will win if you shut up. Don't murmur. Don't mutter. Don't talk in whispers. Speak the truth. We are in a battle, and the way truth wins is for truth to be preached, to be talked about, to be shared. Evil is hell-bent against belief in Jesus Christ. It always has been, and it always will be. So what? Here's your so what's. Number one, identify your shortfalls. What is the one thing holding you back from believing and drinking the truth of Jesus Christ? Are you willing to trust it to Jesus, plunge your head in, and believe? In this passage of scripture, I find it very interesting that the leadership of the day weren't even willing to consider if Jesus was telling the truth. Don't you find that odd? Like this guy's doing miracles, turning snack packs into feasts for five, 10, 20,000 people. That's worth looking into, wouldn't you say? He's gathering quite a crowd around him. That's worth looking into. But the leadership of the day weren't even willing to consider whether or not Jesus was a Messiah. Why? Their power's too important. Their questions were too great. His claims at deity rocked their world too much, and their pride kept them from the truth. They sold propaganda in place of the truth. Listen, they even had to lie about Jesus to get him crucified. So my question to you is, are you susceptible to propaganda? <laughs> the world around you will sell you as much propaganda as you can possibly handle, as long as it does not include the truth of Jesus Christ. They'll sell you as much propaganda as you need to be satisfied, as long as it doesn't come keep you close to Jesus Christ. So what is the world selling you that keeps you from drinking the living water that Jesus offers? Bottom line is our hearts are evil short of Jesus' intervention. We need to come to Jesus in order to receive and understand and live truth, especially as the darkness grows. What is the true definition of evil? The definition of evil is holding on to the one thing that keeps you from Jesus. That is the definition of evil. If you have a heart for Jesus, you may have a thousand questions, but they're not going to keep you from Jesus. But if you do not have a heart from Jesus... Your questions will always keep Jesus at an arm's length. Number two, be honest about barriers. Who in your life is invested in you staying away from Jesus? <laughs> this is a tough one. This is a tough one. These verses get me the most. Verse 45. The officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, why didn't you bring him? <laughs> he was speaking. He literally went, he showed you where he was. Why didn't you grab him and you bring him to us? What's wrong with you? This is what you're getting paid for. Go get Jesus and bring him to us. And they didn't bring Jesus to them, so they were ticked. 
And the officers answered, listen, uh, we, we wanted to do what you asked us to do, but nobody ever spoke like this guy. His teaching's amazing. Verse 47, and the Pharisees answered them and said, have you also been deceived? Do you notice they didn't say, well, what's he teaching? They didn't say, what's so great about him? They didn't care. All they cared about is, you've been duped too. You're not buying our propaganda. Why are you deceived too? All they're concerned about is who's getting duped by Jesus, not about what Jesus is actually saying. They didn't ask about the lame people walking, the blind people that are seeing, the snack packs turned into Thanksgiving dinners. They're not talking about all of that. The people are. They aren't. All they want to know is names. Give us names. Who's being deceived? Are you deceived? Look at this. Verse 40, 40, uh, 48, I can't see. Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in it? They go on to say, have you been deceived? And give us names of everybody you know that's following Jesus. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? We want names. Give us names. Shut this down. No more. You're duped. We want to know everybody you think around you. They're, give us their names. They're duped. To listen, this is what evil does. Evil doesn't try to defend itself, it just tries to shut truth down. Number three, be broken in your reality. Where has evil taken you? I ask myself this question why does the world seem more and more evil? Simple answer is church, our world walks further and further away from Jesus. That's the only reason. The further you walk from the light, the more you think the dark is normal. And this happens in the world around us, and it happens in our hearts personally. One thing that always concerns me is when people stop coming to church, stop making church attendance a priority. My first response is, I wonder what sin they let into their heart. That's not always true, but I have to tell you, after 30 years of ministry, seems to be the case. The goal of evil around us and in us is to suppress the truth, not listen to the truth, and shut people down who say truth around us. Evil does not like to be in the midst of the truth. And the hardest thing for most of us is to admit that we've been sold a lie. Some people have a hard time discerning what a, an evil ideology is. Here's a quick list for you. Um, maybe you're following evil ideologies, or maybe you know of somebody who is. These are, these are like six points that pretty much go across the board. Evil people are willing to do evil things. Evil people encourage you to attack when threatened. Evil people by nature suppress logic. Evil people always sacrifice truth for relationships. Evil people are uniquely susceptible to propaganda. Evil people are uniquely susceptible to fear. You know how I came up with that list? <laughs> John 7. <laughs> it's all the way through John 7. And the other way I came up with that list is all of these things Jesus teaches against. Jesus says, love your enemies. Do good to those who persecute you. Pray for those who, who malign you or mistreat you. All of these things go against Jesus. And all of these things are happening in 2022. Evil is anything that takes authority away from Jesus Christ. Listen, sin will take you further than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And it'll cost you more than you're willing to pay. That's what sin does. But the truth, the 
truth will set you free. The only way to turn this world of evil back to, back to truth is, is by giving them Jesus. And that's why on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I could probably open this time up and say, how many of you have drank from the living water of Jesus Christ and know that it's kept you from the evil you would be in today had you not given your life to Jesus? And we probably would be here for another three hours or more. Jesus is in the business of setting people free, giving them the stuff they can't afford <laughs> because nobody could ever pay for it. The truth of Jesus Christ will always eradicate evil. It will eradicate evil from this world and it will eradicate evil from your homes. And so I invite you, church, bring the truth of Jesus Christ to the center of your relationships, your homes, whatever you do, and you watch how the light always beats out the dark. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for the time we had this morning to look into your word. Thank you that you took the limelight off of the rit ritual of Sukkot that day, the great day, and you put the light spotlight squarely on you. Thank you that you chose Isaiah 55 to quote from, to remind us that we can't buy this, we can't purchase it, there's nothing that we can do to earn it but you offer us more than we could imagine at a price only you could afford. Thank you for giving your life on the cross so that your blood could cover our sins. And thank you that we can have a relationship with you today based on that sacrifice 2,000 years ago. Thank you that you were bold on that day and thank you for the many that believed in you while you were here and thank you for the myriads of people that have believed in you ever since. May we as your church be convinced this light is still bright, still welcoming, still open for any who would come. And today might be the day of salvation, even for some in this room. May you change lives, ours and those around us. And may you turn this world back to truth. In Jesus' name I pray.